When does life typically come together for a person? How old do you have to be when you get to saying, my life has really come together? Oh yeah, it's all coming together. Is it when you get married, or when you land a certain job, or maybe when your kids have successfully launched from the house? Until you get that feeling, like it's all come together, your life can feel on hold. You feel like maybe things are misaligned, or that you're just kind of waiting for something to come in over the horizon. My name is Bruce Wood. I'm the lead pastor here at Valley Lights Church. And today is Easter Sunday. I am so excited to, that you're listening and that you're watching online with us. The week leading up to Easter, this whole past week, I've been thinking about Jesus and the fact that he was a real person in our history. He gathered a following of committed men and women that began to realize that he really was the Son of God. He was the long-awaited Savior. And they, they, they tracked with him, they followed with him, and they realized that they were on the verge of an amazing historical moment. They must have thought, our lives are really coming together. For us, for our nation, for, for everybody around me, things are really coming together. And then Jesus died. He was brutally executed. And this sent them reeling. They didn't know what that was all about. They, their hopes were dashed. They were thrown into confusion and started, you know, there was fear and panic starting to grow. This was a big plot twist for them. The journey of, you know, the really exciting journey of walking with Jesus came to an abrupt end. And so they hid themselves. They didn't know really what to do next. And there was nobody, there was not, there was not a big group of them excitedly anticipating a miracle at the tomb. Their idea about how to put together a significant life was suddenly on hold. They really thought the story was over. Hope was dashed, and they didn't realize it was just a brief intermission, and that there's a pretty amazing part, too, that was just about to happen. We're going to look at that today. Maybe you've been to church on Easter before. Maybe you've heard the Easter story before. What does Easter have to do with your life? <laughs> or maybe you've ever asked, what's the point? What Should this story in some way make a difference in my everyday life? At first, the followers of Jesus weren't quite seeing life accurately. And I've had times in my life where I didn't see life accurately, and then there were some negative consequences. <laughs> there was one time that I was on a family vacation with my wife and kids, and we went up and stayed in this beautiful little beach house in Morro Bay. And... During the vacation, one morning, I woke up feeling horrible. I woke up, I swung my legs out of bed, and I walked out, and I, the room was spinning. I felt dizzy, a little nauseous, and I thought, what, what is wrong with me? I sat down on the couch thinking, maybe, maybe this will pass. It didn't. That feeling, it was just, it was growing. So I thought, what, what, what happened last night? All I had was sparkling water and an ice cream sandwich. That was about it. That's, it. that's as exciting as it got. And so my wife came out and she said, uh, you know, did you, did you eat something bad? No. You know, were you out in the sun? Did you have any medicine? Yes, I did have some medicine. Actually, the night before I had gone to bed coughing horribly. I, was, uh, I had this head congestion that had started and I was hacking. I thought, if I'm going to get any sleep, I need to get some medicine. I need some relief. So I, I, I grabbed the only thing that I really had at the time, and it was a bottle of Delsum, some, some medicine. 
And I was just sitting in bed, and I took a long swig of the bottle. <laughs> and I thought, that'll do the trick. I didn't want to bother reading the dosage label. I thought, you know, the little plastic cups that they give you? Like, those are for sissies. I can handle it. I know how much I need. I, I know what's good for me. And so when I told this to Erin, her eyebrows raised. And she, she's like, okay, well, let's read symptoms of Delsum overdose. Okay. Uh, blurred vision, shakiness, unsteady walk, dizziness, and severe vomiting. And I thought, oh, no. Uh, what did I do? The coughing I had yesterday was better than the way I feel right now. I didn't take this, the instructions seriously. And as it turns out, there's a price to pay for overdosing on cough medicine. Actually, there was a price to pay for my family too because the rest of that day, I was no good to anybody. Uh, I really couldn't engage. And you know, eventually it wore off. But when I took that first sip, I really didn't think there would be any negative consequences. But it didn't matter what I thought about it. There's a reality to overdosing that I didn't see. I didn't even factor it in. So you can imagine now, I have an increased value on reading dosage labels than I used to. <laughs> Whenever we build our assumptions about reality on something that's wrong, problems start cropping up. Reality is fixed and it doesn't bend to our opinions or our beliefs or how you know, sincere we are about the way we're seeing things. There's some, there's some reality that we need to factor in. What are the guiding principles for lead, you know, what leads to a good life? How, 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 do, how does it all come together? How do we build a good life? The typical approach is to secure for myself pleasures, treasures, and no worries. <laughs> for pleasures, you know, just anything that feels good. And it could, you know, be stuff that feels good in my body, or it could be rest and sleep. It could be going on vacations or playing phone games. There's such a wide variety of enjoyments. Also, treasures, and that just means money and stuff. Uh, financial stability, toys, conveniences, banking up the retirement, all of that is just packaged in perhaps wealth or what I have. And then no worries. There's a lot to worry about in life. You know, there's, I can worry about my health, my family, my future, my money, my kids. There's all, there's all kinds of things. And so we've come up with phrases to get rid of the worry. Don't worry, be happy. Hakuna Matata, <laughs> just forget the past. Life is good, Medicaid if needed. And this is, this is the recipe. This is how you put a good life together, right? Do you have enough of those things right now? Pleasures and treasures and no worries. This has been the recipe for thousands of years. The pro this approach goes way back in our history. Have you ever heard the story of Moses? This is a guy who, who had it all coming together quite nicely. <laughs> he had it all dialed in. He was brought up in the days when ancient Egypt was a dominant world power. Moses was a Hebrew baby, and the Hebrews were slaves to Egypt, this world power, and he was adopted into the royal family. Actually, Pharaoh was the king of the land, and Pharaoh's daughter found him and adopted him. Moses, he should have been brought up poor and oppressed, but instead, I guess by, the, by some chance, he sat in the lap of luxury. That's what he grew up in. 
he had what was probably the best education at the time. Um, I would imagine he had a life of ease and pleasure, just like royalty, eating the best foods. He had access to enough wealth so that everything was taken care of. Didn't have a thing to worry about. What, what worries could you possibly have growing up in that incredible environment? And as he grew, he knew there was something more. There was something missing. He probably had a doubt that nod, not just nod inside of him while he was enjoying this life of ease and enjoyment. He, he might have had some friends that he expressed his doubts to, and they, and they would have said, you know what, Moses, listen, it is all coming together for you, man. Look at, look at where your life is headed. You have everything you need. I think God was stirring his heart. I think that he started creating a longing inside of Moses for something different than the typical approach to the good life. Maybe you felt a similar longing in your heart, and you know there's something more. About a thousand years later, somewhere between one and two thousand years later, when Rome became the dominant world power, this typical approach to the good life resurfaced in the teachings of Jesus. This idea of the pleasures and the treasures and no worries. And Jesus said, these are not on the path to the good life. In fact, he said, they choke us out. You can, you can actually look in your handout or look on the screen for uh, some passages that we'll be looking through in this message. In Luke 8, 14, Jesus said that some people go on their way and are choked with worries, riches, and the pleasures of life and produce no mature fruit. Interesting. Go ahead and fast forward another 2,000 years and you get to today where we live in the, the United States of America, <laughs> which is one of the current world powers. Egypt, and then Rome, and then the U.S. For thousands and thousands of years, people want life to come together and we're pulled towards the same approach. And if you've been operating in it and it's working well for you, then you might be coasting nicely and you might feel fairly content and satisfied. But for others, perhaps you're feeling some amount of disappointment. Have you ever thought life was about to come together just to find it coming apart again? Or maybe you've waited for some financial deal to land and that the funds would start come rolling in, but they don't. Or maybe you've been in a relationship too long and you've thought, this could be good, it's just, it's just over the next hill, I just need to put in a little bit more effort. And then it leads to disappointment again. Or maybe you've got little kids that are just driving you crazy. Or you've got grown kids that are creating all kinds of grief. There are many things that might block us from feeling like life has come together. For me, when I was in college, I was very insecure about my physical appearance. I didn't like looking weak because I've got skinny arms. <laughs> and I, I, I've, not, I've, I've been very insecure about this actually most of my life. If you saw me at the beach, you would not be impressed. <laughs> I launched a campaign in college to get big muscles. And so I, uh, I started working out. I got the routine going. I got the protein powder. I was choking back those shakes. And after every workout, I'd go to, I'd go to the mirror and see if I got any bigger. And there's a lot of really good reasons for exercise and working out and lifting weights. For me, there was one reason, and it was to improve the way that I looked. 
because of my insecurity. And I wasn't married yet, and I thought, my life might not really come together if I don't improve my appearance. But is there anything more temporary than physical health and appearance? Financial stability also is an illusion. Finances fluctuate over the years. Stuff comes rolling in that we can't anticipate. And pleasures and things that we enjoy only last a few minutes. It's got to be refilled. Life is not one long vacation. Most of it's work. So what happens when life is not going so well? Our sense of okayness, like how I'm doing, whether or not I'm okay, it goes up and down depending on whether or not I've got enough of all this stuff or if things are going well. What if your idea about how to live a good life is faulty? What if our idea about reality is inaccurate? What if our approach to life is actually going to cause more pain and consequences? Moses wrestled with these questions, and then he did something really, really shocking. He decided to give up the dream of life coming together here on earth. He just gave it up. It sounds like craziness, but you will never believe what he did. Look at what it says in Hebrews chapter 11, starting verse 24. It says, By faith Moses, when he had grown up, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He lived in that cushy life. He had everything coming together. And he, re- he just flat out refused it. He, and, and he chose instead to suffer with the people of God rather than enjoy the fleeting pleasure of sin. For he considered reproach for the sake of Christ to be greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. Repro- reproach is a word that we don't use too often. It, it means to be insulted or ridiculed. I think actually a really great modern translation for this word is to be canceled. He would rather be canceled for the sake of Christ than enjoy the wealth and the treasures that Egypt had, which was quite a lot at the time. Since, and he says, since he was looking ahead to the reward. By faith, he left Egypt behind. And here's where the worry comes in. Not being afraid of the king's anger or worried about what would happen to him. For Moses persevered as one who sees him who is invisible. This really seems like madness. Life had really come together, and he tossed it away. He rejected it. He cast in his lot with the people of God, knowing that life was going to get a whole lot harder. God's people were poor and crushed and oppressed. They were enslaved, and they had a pretty rough time. He identified himself with them, and he didn't have to. Nobody made him do it. His condition would then become like theirs. He would just then starts his life of difficulty. Why would you do this? <laughs> this is not how things come together. The reason that he did this, it's in verse 26. It says, he was looking ahead to the reward. He made this crazy conclusion that there was a better life ahead than what he could put together here, meaning life after death. The path that he chose would be to suffer and die, but then go live in God's heavenly country. In this passage, we see that he was willing to suffer rather than enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He knew that the pleasures were very temporary. Just the enjoyments we get in life just need constant refilling Things feel good at first, but some of them 
end up leading to further damage and pain down, down the road. He would rather be ridiculed for Christ than have wealth and things and stuff. He probably thought money and stuff is nice, but isn't there more to life than the stuff? Isn't there stuff that's more important? And he would rather have faith in the invisible than fear of the visible. He was not afraid of the government that was over him, and there would be a price to pay for what he did. But he entrusted himself to an even higher power. He, he saw life one way, and then he snapped out of it. He suddenly realized that everyone around him in Egypt was overdosing on the wrong medicine. This cushy life is not how reality works. He realized that the best is yet to come. He gave up the dream of everything coming together on this side of death. He firmly rooted himself in the hope for heaven. This is a very different approach. And if any of us would consider it, it comes with one big problem. The standards for getting into heaven are crazy and possibly high. Even, even if you went along with what Moses said and you said, I, I'm, I, I actually think that maybe he's right. Maybe the best is yet to come. Because I've experienced all kinds of pain and trouble in life. But to get into heaven requires perfection. Moral perfection. It means that there's no mess-ups ever. <clears throat> in my life, as a toddler, no mess-ups, no sin, no wrongdoing. As a teen, as an adult, there's, there's no room for even a single stepping out of line. And so far, not a single human on the planet has been able to pull it off. We are born morally in debt to God and on track to experience his unbridled wrath. Because our sin invites that. It demands that. Because of our sin, we're, we're on track to that. And for us to be moving in the direction, not into heaven, but internal separation from God and all that is good. God wants us to join him in heaven, in his good country, to cross from death to life, to spend eternity with him. He wants that. So he sent Jesus to die on the cross for our sins. That eliminated the, the, the debt and the gap that was impossible for us to cross. So we Christians put tremendous stock in the fact that Jesus died for us. That brings us around back to where the disciples were at. You know, they were totally demoralized. They were thrown off, discouraged, afraid. They had followed Jesus, and they were struggling to figure out what to do next when Jesus died. Full of doubt and worry. And they thought, if Jesus died, that was the end of the story, someone might just say that he was an imposter. He wasn't the Son of God. He might have said that. He might have been a big-hearted person who just had a death wish. But people die all the time. What difference would this guy's death make? Well, his death was not the end of the story. Today is Easter, and we not only remember his death, but we celebrate his resurrection to life. The resurrection of Jesus validates our hope for heaven. Paul, who was one of the men who wrote a, por a big portion of the Bible, he, he said that getting a clear view on how life really works hinges on Jesus coming to life. In 1 Corinthians, he said, If Christ had not been raised, then your faith is worthless. You're still in your sins. Those then who have fallen asleep in Christ have also perished. And if we have put our hope in Christ for this life only, then we should be pitied more than anyone. 
He said, if, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then Christianity would be pointless. In fact, I'd be a fool for standing here in front of this camera right now, and you should take pity on me. If this life is the best that it gets, we ought to dive in and enjoy as much pleasure and try to get as much wealth as you possibly can. We ought to wring out as much enjoyment out of this life as possible because how miserable would it be for us to deny ourselves anything, pleasures and enjoyments, to go without and to endure ridicule and then just die in a dark nothingness and have it all be over. That sounds miserable. But because of the resurrection of Jesus, we have something solid to hope for, something solid to live for. There's a few things that we can do to live with real hope. The first and very most important thing to do is to make Jesus my Lord. We have the opportunity to accept Jesus as Savior, the one who saved me from eternally experiencing the dreadful wrath of God, and then establishing him as the commander of my life. We're born with a resistance to doing that. We instinctively try to put the best life together on our own, according to our own desires. I don't want to be ruled by anyone. I, I, I don't want restraints put on me and my desires and my ambitions. We, we, we have a default desire to leave God out of the equation or just to flat out reject his commands or specific things that he said. To make him your Lord is to make him boss and decide to let him be in charge of my whole life my time, my wallet, my decisions, my relationships, my future plans. A true Christian has entrusted every part of life to Jesus. And if you're exploring Christianity and you want to know what that looks like, what it means to follow him, put that on your connection card and let us know. Another way to live now with real hope is to focus my mind on the enduring city to come. We see this in Again, and go back to Hebrews in, in for chapter 13. Therefore, Jesus also suffered outside the gate so that he might sanctify the people by his own blood. Again, this is the idea of his sacrifice for us. Let us then go to him outside the camp, meaning outside this culture, in this world, and in, in the normal approach to life, bearing his disgrace with him. For we do not have an enduring city here, Instead, we seek the one to come. Let's focus on God's heavenly city where followers of Christ, or Christ are headed. Worry often springs up as we're navigating this life when we wrestle with the really big things happening in this world. And even lately, I've heard questions from different people like, when are things going back to normal around here? Or what if they don't? Or God, when are you going to right these wrongs? Or, or when are we going to get the right guy into this office or that office? There are things happening on a grand scale that make us feel very unsettled. And they leave us with questions for God. What's going on here? God is not going to right all the wrongs just yet. If we're holding our breath, hoping that everything on earth settles into peace and unity and world happiness... We're not seeing reality correctly. He's got something far better planned that he just hasn't unrolled yet. He is just and he will right every wrong and we need to hang in there. We can focus on the enduring city to come and followers of Jesus are on a journey. We're on the way there. 
and we can fix our attention on it. We can, we can keep thinking about where we're headed, eagerly anticipating it, getting excited and pumped up and, and just constantly reminding ourselves of where we're going. That's what we do when we seek the city to come. As a parent, I've often thought about my kids and the world that they're growing up in. And, you know, that can make you feel pretty concerned. Like, man, what is, was this a good time to have kids? I don't really know. Where, where is our culture headed? And even after I'm gone, how are they going to do? Or are my grandkids even? And when I think about that, I, I come back to Moses, and I think about Moses' mom. <laughs> she had to give him up. It was a time when and, you know, babies were being killed in, in Egypt. And in order to save him, she managed to get him into possession of Pharaoh's daughter. And so he went into, into the house of Pharaoh probably when he was about three years old. And Moses' mom is watching him be thoroughly schooled in the pagan religion of Egypt during his most formative years of life, thinking, I, I tried to instill some things in him when he was a tiny little guy, but I don't know if there's any hope that he's going to even know or recognize or believe the one true God because he's being brainwashed into, into everything Egyptian right now. This is his, this, everything around him is that way. Would he ever hang on to what I instilled in his heart when he was a baby? And amazingly, despite the way Moses grew up, God brought him out to be one of the greatest leaders in ancient history. It's incredible. Maybe God can be trusted with the outcome of not only our lives, but maybe he's guiding our kids as well, and can, he can be trusted with that. If you've been walking with God, are there things that are preventing you from fully trusting Christ and, and fully committing your life to him? Maybe you know that deep down, you haven't quite put it all on the table yet. There's a shred of your life that you've held back. You haven't quite surrendered it. Maybe today is the day that something in your life needs to die. Or maybe there's worries that prevent you from fully committing to Christ. In this life, followers of Jesus may face suffering and loss and attack from others. Sticking with Jesus means I'm going to take some hits and it's going to get uncomfortable. Maybe your physical health will continue to deteriorate and that won't even clear up. Can we can be okay with all of that if we truly believe that my life will never fully come together until I meet Jesus face to face, either by dying or by him returning. Another way to live with real hope now is to team with a church that is focused on spreading the light of Jesus. And I'll tell you, it doesn't even have to be ours. There's a lot of good churches online and in Santa Clarita, where we are right now. The main thing is to find a place and to root yourself with the people of God. This is where we can do the most good while we're here on earth. Things in our culture seem to be crumbling and deteriorating. That's what it seems to me. Reality and morals and ethics seem to be getting twisted up. I, I, I can't believe some of the legislation that's been getting passed over the past recent years. And if I had to guess, I would, I don't think we're going to have a real amazing comeback anytime soon in this country, or maybe even ever. Moses determined that doesn't matter, that there's more value in signing on with God's people 
rather than enjoying the fleeting pleasures that this world has to offer, even if it meant suffering. We launched this church during a really difficult year. In January, it was especially rough. January, we saw perhaps one of the biggest spikes in COVID deaths. There was, you know, government shutdowns to a maximum during that month. And of course, then there's just the weather where things are darker and colder anyway. You would think that January of this year would be a pretty bad time to start a church. <laughs> Amazingly, God pierced through much of the darkness in a very dark time with a bright spot. And he caused our church to be birthed. There are many ways you can see his hand over the past year. There's plenty of darkness in our world right now. There's plenty of pain and confusion that people are living with. There are peak moments in life for us, and then there's dark valleys. Because Jesus is the light of the world, he has entrusted us with his life-giving message. We are lights in the valleys. We are Valley Lights Church. And you can team with us. We, we know that life won't fully come together on this side, but we, when we team together, some things will get better. There is good that we can do together. You can make a contribution in this new church. We've, and you've, just, you've kind of jumped in and, and checked us out at the ground level. Something brand new is being built. I don't know exactly why God brought you here right now, listening and watching, but maybe God wants to use you in what's happening. You've been given a unique personality and wiring that God will use for the good of other people. Here with us or elsewhere, if you'll let him. And if you're listening right now and you think, my life is too much of a mess to be any good, just know that this year I've spent more days being a complete mess than the rest of my life put together. <laughs> if you feel weak or if you have been feeling inadequate for the tasks in front of you, you need to know that you and I have a lot more in common than you realize. Or if you have sinned or if you have been suffering, you are among friends. You will not be able to find a perfect person here. Praise God that he uses weak and messy people. I, I honestly can't believe he's using us to start a new church. That's why I've got so much hope for others. If he can use us, he can certainly use you. If he can love me, I know that he can love you. And I'd love to meet you too. <laughs> Make sure you, you leave some contact info so I can just follow up and say thank you for watching with us. It would truly be a joy to meet you or to talk with you. I really hope and pray that today starts something new for you. Easter is a very significant day. Perhaps today marks a time of renewal for you. Maybe you would like to make a new or a fresh commitment to Jesus Christ. Or maybe this is the start of new relationships with some really good people. Or you might just decide to throw in your lot with a brand new church and see how it goes. And we would love for you to come back and visit us again next week. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, you are the Savior and the light of the world. And we just celebrate that today is the day we remember that you have risen again. Actually, I, that's a, something I remember. I want to remember every day. There's so much hope in life that comes from that. 
And I thank you that we have the hope and the confidence that life will come together fully and truly, ultimately, when we're in your country. Would you give us the strength to endure, to endure now, even if things get rough and rocky? Would you use us to team together to help other people make sense out of walking with Christ, understanding the Bible, and living for you? For you? In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Happy Easter and hope to see you again.